Last time I was up here, we were talking about Abraham's call to sacrifice his son and what it cost him to do that. And it was a lot of testing that was going on in Abraham's life. Some of them he passed, some of them not so much. Uh, but you, you look at that, and I think that's similar to our life, right? We have testing every day, things come at us, and we are called to respond in one way or another. And our faith is determined and built up by our response to those particular tests. And if you're like me, you pass some, and others not so much. You know, I, I thought about, since I came back, it's been a couple of weeks, maybe I should change up Abraham's life and do something different. And I'm still praying about that, but as I read this next chapter, I thought that it really kind of fits in as relevant to what's been going on in our church family recently in the past couple of years. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 23. I'm going to pray before we begin this. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here again. We pray your anointing upon your word. We pray that everything we say and do is exactly what you want said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 23, starting in verse 1. When Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron in the land of Canaan. 127 years. Anybody want to live to be 127? There you go. Maybe the person is 126 wants to live to be 127. But up until now, we've read about their lives, the ups and downs, the adventures and misadventures of Abraham and, and Sarah. And now we're looking at their lives. And, you know, I, I thought about this for a moment. As, as you read about Bible figures, I don't like to use the word characters or Bible, you know, because it, it puts in the context that it might be fictional. But these are Bible, Bible people. They're not characters. They're Bible people who have actually lived. But you, as you watch their life, you get to kind of look in through a window to see their life from beginning to end. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I'm not sure I would like everyone to look in a window of my life and see everything that's happened from beginning to end. And I, I was putting this together, and I, I remembered a movie that was out a while ago, The Truman Show. You ever hear, see The Truman Show? If you're not familiar with the movie, The Truman Show is a Jim Carrey movie, and what it's based on is this guy named Truman, and he goes about living his whole life like everything's normal. But as you see, he is a TV character, and everyone in his life are actors, and they're filming his life. He's living it like it's normal, but everyone around him knows it's a TV show. And I kind of get the idea that that's kind of what it's like when we watch the lives of Abraham and Sarah. We're watching their life, and they don't even know that we're watching it. We're hearing about what's going on. And the one thing that, that struck me is God uses normal people who pass the test, who fail the test, and I think that gives each of us comfort that God uses imperfect people. How many are glad that God uses people that aren't perfect? Because none of us are. So, even though they are great examples of faith, Abraham and Sarah are subject to the same limitations that we are today. Now, Sarah had 127 years, but the thing that he faced was the death of his wife. And I read that and I thought that's kind of applicable in our church family, the past year or so, two years. 
One of the limitations that we all have as believers is one day we will leave this life. It's just a part of the situation. And as our church family has experienced, we've said goodbye to a few of our loved ones in the past couple of years. I had the opportunity to write to Jeremy Wise a while ago. He has been in our church for a couple of years, and I and included in the letter the names of the people who have went to be with the Lord since he, he left. And I didn't realize there was a lot of them that have gone to be with the Lord just the past couple of years. And unfortunately, death is a part of life. And each one of us is going to face it at some time or another, whether it's our own or someone we love. Sarah had been a good wife, a good mother, even though she had faults, as we all do. But God called her a princess. The name Sarah actually means princess in Hebrew. And what I want to look at is how did Abraham handle her death? He's a man of faith and power, a hero of the faith, Hebrews chapter 11. What does it say in verse 2? Then Abraham mourned and wept for her. How many have been told as Christians that we shouldn't be sad when this stuff happens? That we should buck up. Christians aren't supposed to cry. Christians are supposed to trust God what's going to happen. Don't show emotion. How many know that's not biblical, by the way? Christians can and should mourn and cry in the time of loss. God gives us emotions that causes tears for a reason. Our bodies were designed to do that. So we should and could show emotions during those difficult times. A loss that should, should evoke strong emotions. And we should expect that from the people that we are around and ourselves when we face these situations. We should expect people to mourn and we should expect people to cry in the times of loss. One commentator says that tears and crying are one way that God continues to heal the broken heart of the person who's experienced that loss. Now, as believers, we know where our loved ones will be. If they trusted Christ, we know that they're with the Lord, but that does not mitigate the suffering and the pain that we experience while they're gone. Jesus wept when Lazarus died, right? John eleven thirty five. 35. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing by nearby said, see how much he loved him. It's normal to show emotion. In fact, if you don't show emotion, that becomes unnatural. You should be able to show emotion. And think about this way. Jesus knew that in a matter of moments, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was going to see him again. And yet he had, he cried because he experienced a loss. Now, it's normal to show emotions. And yes, we know that the people we, who have left us are with the Lord. But we have to be careful that in those times of loss, we are not cavalier about that loss to other people. Now, we often quote 1 Thessalonians 4 during those times. And it says this, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died so you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. That is not a call to not show emotion. That is not, he's not saying don't cry. He's not saying don't show feelings. He's saying that our mourning should be different from those who don't believe. 
He doesn't say we don't mourn. He says that we do it a little bit differently. Tears and sorrows are not a sign of lack of, un or a lack of unbelief. How many know that? When you cry for someone, you cry at a loss, it doesn't mean you lack faith. It doesn't mean you don't believe. But it's a sign of love and devotion because of someone that you have lost. The difference is our tears eventually fade into the hope of being reunited with them. That's what Paul means when he says we mourn as those who have no hope. Unbelievers have no such hope of being reunited with those who have gone before. How many of you have heard the name Vance Havner? Vance Havner was an evangelist from a couple of generations ago. He was approached by a young pastor after the untimely death of Havner's wife. The young pastor said to him, I'm sorry to hear that you lost your wife. Havner said, son, when you know where something is, you haven't lost it. Christians should not approach death with fear, but with hope. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 2 Corinthians 5.8, We are confident, I say, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, we don't want to speed that process up, right? But we know that it's coming, and we want to be ready for it when it does. Life goes fast enough as it is, when that time comes, we want to be prepared for that. Now, it, this sounds like a funeral message, but it's not. It, it, I want us to focus on the fact that, A, there is loss in the Christian family. We experience death like everybody else. We experience pain like everybody else. And we should experience the same emotion that everyone has, the difference being we mourn, as the Bible says, not like those who have no hope, but like those who know what's going to happen in the future. Revelation 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, the Spirit says, They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from all their toils and trials, for their good deeds will follow them. How many have ever been around folks who are on their last days? I've had the opportunity to do that. And there's a marked difference, at least in my experience, from those who have trusted Christ and those who have not trusted Christ. The ones who have trusted Christ have settled in, they've accepted what's going on, and they are at peace with that. They are not worried, they are not fearful of what's going to happen. They are okay with that situation. Unbelievers, on the other hand, in my experience, have been fearful, have been worried, very concerned about what's going to happen, not understanding what's going to happen, not, not at peace at all. That's how we live with as we mourn with those who have no hope. Now, the believer will be at peace while the unbeliever will be fearful and worried. But as we mourn and as situations progress, how many know that life goes on after that? As it does for Keith, Dick, and Judy, all those who have lost loved ones the past couple of years. Life goes on after the funeral. A lot of companies give you time off for funerals. Usually it's a couple of days. But then what happens? You've got to go back to work. Right? During our time of mourning and crying, there has to be a time where we accept what has happened, face the situation, and then continue on. And Abraham did that in verse 3. It says, Then leaving her body, he went to the Hittite elders and said, Here I am, a stranger in a foreign land, 
with no place to bury my wife. Please let me ha have a, a piece of land for a burial plot. Now, most people, a lot of older people, we, we prepare our funerals so the younger generation doesn't have to do that. And that's, that's a blessing for those who, who are left behind. But there's a lot of times where there's no warning, there's no preparation. And in the middle of our crying, we have to tend to those situations. We have to be able to do that. We as the living still have to fulfill our obligations to per the person who's passed away as well as those who are left behind. Now Abraham now has to make burial arrangements. And what we're going to see is during these arrangements, these are things that happen in real life, Christian or not. But we also have to have wisdom and understanding when we deal with situations like this, not just funerals, but everything. Verse 5 and 6. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Certainly for you are an honored prince among us. It will be a privilege to have you choose the finest of our tombs so you can bury her there. So the, the group said, No problem, we'll find you a place. Abraham had a good reputation in his community. Even though they did not worship the same God, they were totally different, they still respected him and his family. How many of us can say the same thing? We have a good reputation in our community. We have a good reputation to people who know us. People we deal with every day, do we have that kind of a reputation? If we were to die tomorrow, what would they say about us as individuals? Abraham had a great reputation in the community, even though his faith differed from theirs. It's possible to live as a Christian and have friends who are not Christians. How many know that? Maybe difficult, but it's possible. In fact, that's our goal, to, to witness and to love other people who aren't Christians so we can show them what being a Christian is like. We as believers need to be sure and we need to try our hardest to have a good reputation and witness to those we deal with. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, This should be your ambition, to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we commanded you before. As a result, people who are not Christians will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others to meet your financial needs. Colossians 4.5, Live wisely among those who are not Christians and make the most of every opportunity. This does not mean we go along to get along. How many know that? that we don't agree with everything because we want to be friends with everyone. We take a stand, we're, we're respectful in our stand, but we need to have that type of reputation outside the area. When I went for my ordination, I'm not sure if they still do this, but they, they sent out four or six recommendation letters, and I'm supposed to give them three to church people and three to non-church people who are not believers, people I work with, whatever. And each of them were supposed to write a recommendation and send back to the district for me. The goal was to see if I had good reputation in the church as well as a good reputation outside the church. What did people who don't go to church think of me? And I guess they must have liked me because I'm here. But the point was they wanted to hear not just from church people, they wanted to hear what other people say about you. What is your reputation? Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good reputation is more valuable than the most expensive perfume. In the same way, the day you die is better than the day you were born. Now, we've mentioned this verse a couple times before, but it doesn't mean that your death is better than the day you were born. What it means is, when you're born, you have a clean slate. There's nothing on your record. You're a clean slate. 
as you live your life, you begin to gather a reputation. So that when your life is over, everything you've done up to that point is your legacy, is your reputation. And over time, those change. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. What he's saying is, at the moment you die, the reputation you have at that point is what is going to stick with you. You may have lived great for 50 years, or 126 years, and in the 127th year, you blow it. That's the reputation you're going to have after you're gone. We want to be able to have a good reputation, a good legacy when we're gone because whatever it is we die with is going to be with everyone forever. It's unchangeable. We should want our reputation at our death basically to be better than we had when we were born. Abraham's and Sarah's reputations were both good in life and in death. They had different beliefs from those around him. They were disagreeing, but they were not disagreeable. When someone mentions your name, what's the reaction people get? If I were to go to your place of work and say, what do you think of you? What would your work coworkers say? It's during your time of grief and loss that others are able to see your reaction to that. I've done a lot of funerals, and you can tell at different funerals what the reaction of the family members and friends are to the person who's passed away. A lot of them are ambivalent. Some of them are mournful and crying. Some of them don't care. I did a funeral once. I may have shared this before. lady in our church, and the only person that came to that was one of our board members, and her daughter-in-law, her husband had passed away. Nobody else came. And she was kind of a cantankerous woman in our church. And just when you mentioned her name, it just people knew. And I talked to the daughter afterwards, daughter-in-law afterwards, and she said, thank you for not sugarcoating her life. And I thought about that. And the reputation you leave when you die, is what carries on. We want to be sure that when our life is over, we have a good reputation. What better way to show them the truth of the gospel than to live it in front of other people? Like Havner's response, God can give us peace in the situations that others can see and maybe even want. During a funeral, People see the response, the effect that we as believers have to the someone we lost. They're going to want that situation. They're going to want that same emotion when their time comes and they've experienced loss. Are we able to do that for them? Genesis 23, 7. That Abraham bowed low before them and said, Since this is how you feel, be so kind as to ask Ephron, son of Zohar, let me have the cave of Mechpelah near the end of his field. I want to pay the full price, of course, whatever is publicly agreed upon, so that I might have a permanent burial place for my family. So, you, sometimes you just skim over this. Abraham mentions to the community, I need a burial plot. The community says, no problem. Abraham says to this guy, Mekla, you have a cave, can I have that cave? Now, we had a garage sale here yesterday. 
This is like garage sale Mecca, this area. What do you do at a garage sale? If you go to buy something, what do you do? I'll give you a quarter for that. I'll give you 50 cents for that. You haggle, right? That's what garage sales are all about. Well, in Eastern customs, haggling was the norm. Especially in the city gate, that's what they did. They haggled over price on everything. Abraham wanted to avoid any of that. He said, look, I'm going to be honest with my request. I'll pay you what you want. I don't want to haggle. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. But he was also wise in his dealings. He did it in public. He wants to be at the city gate. He wants to do it so everyone sees it so there's no doubt. Ronald Reagan had a, a quote back when we were dealing with the Soviet Union. It was trust. I mean, who knows the rest of it? But verify, right? You trust someone, but you're going to verify it. There was a business saying that we had a while ago. It may still be in effect. What gets accomplished, accomplished isn't what's expected, it's what's inspected, right? Just because you expect someone to do it doesn't mean they're going to do it. But if you're going to inspect what they do, then they're going to do it. And Abraham wanted to make sure that it was above board. There was no question about it. He wants to do it in public at the right price. We should be polite in our dealings, but we should also be wise in how we approach them. He could have said to this Mechpala, look, I'll meet you outside in the alley. I'll give you 50 bucks for it, and we're good. No, he wants to do it in public, and we wants to do it right. Now, as you saw in your bulletin, we have an issue going on around us with the road and the township and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, we need to be polite in our dealings, but we also need to be wise in how we approach those things. So the thing in the bulletin says to pray for that situation. We want to be Christ-like, but we want to be wise in how we deal with the situation. Matthew 10, 16 says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes, but innocent as doves. So that means we shouldn't be walked on, we should have our ducks in a row, we should be wise in how we approach it, and we shouldn't be naive in the situation. Abraham wasn't naive. He knew that this Ephron was a wheeler dealer, and we're going to see how he wheeled and dealed in a minute. But he wanted to make sure that, hey, this guy's a wheeler dealer. I want everyone to see that it's happening. Look at verse 10. It says, Ephron was sitting there among the others, and he answered Abraham as the others listened speaking publicly before all the elders of the town. No, sir, he said to Abraham, please listen to me. I'll give you the cave and the field here in the presence of my people. I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Now, Abraham wanted the cave. Ephron said, I'll give you the cave and the land. So I'm going to get rid of all of it. I want you to have it. Now, it would have been easy for Abraham to accept it, but I'm not sure Abraham... I think Abraham knew there's no free lunch. If I take this thing for free, it's going to cost me more in the, in the long run. I want to be above board. He insisted on buying it. So instead of buying the cave, now he's suckered into buying the cave and the land. But he wanted to, know, he wanted to be sure he had integrity, and he knew it was going to cost him more, but he still wanted to do it right. Verse 12 says, Abraham bowed again to the people of the land, and he replied to Ephraim as everyone listened. Now listen to me. No, listen to me, he insisted. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Abraham 
first wanted God to be honored in the transaction, and he believed that by doing it the right way, God would be honored. Now, I read a couple of commentaries that said that the amount that was asked for the field was way too much for whatever that field was. I don't, I don't know. Take their word for it. But sometimes in order to honor God and show a good witness, it might cost you to do that. How many of you have ever gone to buy a car? And how many of you, now maybe not so much anymore with the sticker price, but how many of you really try to beat down the salesman on price? We had a guy in our old church that he'd come back from a sale. He goes, man, I just, I badgered that guy until I got my price. I'm thinking, that's a great witness. You know, yeah, haggle on the price a little bit, but maintain your Christian witness while you're doing it. Integrity always has to be ahead of monetary gain. And you have to be wise in how you deal it. But we make sure that our integrity is intact regardless of what it costs us. And sometimes having integrity means it costs you more than it might have. And the person you deal with sees you as a Christian witness rather than just someone like everybody else who wants to beat them down for the price. How many have been able to go out to eat lately? Actually go into a restaurant and eat. How many are happy about that? How many are tired of standing in drive through lines waiting for cold food? But when you go and you have a waitress or a waiter, and I mentioned this before, do you tip them? And do you tip them well? Our old pastor used to say, if you don't have enough money to tip your waitresses, you don't have enough money to go eat. I've seen people who leave tracks but no tip. Not exactly a great witness. What's your integrity? Abraham was able to experience emotion like we all do. Abraham was able to do things in spite of what was going on around him. He was able to keep his cool and handle business dealings in spite of his loss. And he was able to do it with wisdom and understanding. I'm going to close with this. Sorry, Keith, I, didn't, I can't go an hour, man. If you remember, God had given Abraham the whole land, right? Everything that was out there was already given to him by God. He could have claimed it, but it wouldn't have worked for him. The only part that was legally his was the tomb. If there is no resurrection, if there is no rapture, Jesus doesn't return for his church, the only property you will legally own when you die is the dirt above your head. Everything else, everything else is left behind. All that we accumulate throughout life will be left to somebody else. 1 Timothy 6, 7, After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world, and certainly we cannot carry anything with us when we die. But by living a life of integrity, a life of faith, we are investing in things that are going to be waiting for us when we get there. The Bible says we are storing up treasures in heaven. How many know that? 
And how many of you believe that that's what's happening? How many of you have a savings account, retirement account, and you deny yourself a little bit here because you put it in that account so when you get to be that age, you can now have something to live on? That's exactly what we're doing when we store up treasures in heaven. When we work with in, or live with integrity, we do things the right way, we do it with wisdom, we're able to be a great witness even in times of loss. All of that we are now adding to your bank account in heaven. So when you get there, guess what's waiting for you? Everything you've done here to honor God is waiting for you on the other side. The stuff we accumulate here is going to be gone. I guess there was a big rain the other day. Who all got hit with the rain? We didn't have a drop here, by the way. Not a drop. You get, nope, nothing, right? Not a drop. I get a text from Gil saying, how's your sump pump working? I said, fine, it's not raining. He's what? And he sent me pictures of the, the flooding on 30 and the flooding on Kenneth. And you look at that, everything, I saw these cars that were underwater. I saw the stores that were underwater. All those things that may have been ruined by the storm were things that were being accumulated. And you, you mourn for those because they're gone. Whatever they were, were are ruined. But the things that we're storing up in heaven, nothing's going to touch them. It's not like you can withdraw from that either, by the way. You don't, you don't put in and then take out and put in take out. It's only deposit only. And so when we live a life of integrity and everything we do, every step we take that honors God, ka-ching, bank account, ka-ching, bank account. And those are what's accumulating for us. And that's what's going to turn into those crowns that we get when we get there, right? And those are the crowns that we're going to be able to lay at Jesus' feet. If we don't accumulate that, if we're not working towards that, there's two questions we're going to ask. First, do you really believe what the Bible says? If you really believe it, then you're going to do it. And the second thing is, why not? Why are we, why are we wasting all of our time here, spending all of our time here? You know, there's a Larry Burkett, how many remember who Larry Burkett was? He was the Dave Ramsey before Dave Ramsey. His, his whole thing was you can, you can tell a Christian's walk by looking at their checkbook and their calendar. What's important is in those two things. If everything we have, we're spending it here, we're doing it here, we're doing it here, what are we waiting, what are we storing up in heaven for that? And the second thing about that is when his, his thing about credit cards. If you use your credit cards on things that are consumable, you're getting yourself into a trap. In other words, if you use your credit card to go buy groceries, well, it's a continuing thing. It's a consumable. It's going to reappear next week. And the, the point is, the things that we have here are consumable. The things that we're storing up in heaven are not. Abraham, when he got to his time, which is actually in chapter 25 when he passes away, but his life was one of integrity. His life was what he was preparing for 
in the future. We've had a lot of loss in our church the past couple years. But from each of the people who have gone on before us, I know that they were building up their treasure in heaven. How many know that? I know their lifestyle. I know what they were doing. They're building up their treasure in heaven. And now they're able to access that when they're there. We, we, we miss them. But as the Bible says in Revelation, they're, they're not suffering anymore. They are where they're supposed to be. They are, they are where we are all wanting to be at some point. Whether that comes tomorrow, whether that comes next week, 20 years. As we said at the beginning, death is a certainty for everyone. There's a saying, life is fatal. None of us get out of this alive. So if that's the case, how are we preparing for that now? Are we building up a reputation that people admire? Are we affecting people's lives in such a way that they're going to cry when we're gone? Do we do our dealings honestly and above board so, again, our integrity is, is intact? Or do we do things like the world does them and we're no different than them? And when we die, maybe there's no one at your funeral because you live the life that no one really wants to emulate. Would you stand as we close this morning? Close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and as, as most of us have, we've experienced a, a loss in our lives. But as we learn, we're, they're not lost. We know where they are. And the emotions and the feelings we have are normal for every person. We should mourn. In fact, if we don't mourn, then something is wrong. So our tears and our crying and our mourning is okay. But we know that those tears and those mornings will eventually morph into an excitement, anticipation of seeing that person again. And during the time that we're here, we want to make sure that we do everything we can to make sure we actually see that person again. And really, the only way to do that is to check your relationship with Jesus. Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you have to ask yourself a question. Do you know Christ? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked him to cleanse you? Have you asked him to forgive you and to make your slate clean? The Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible also says that every sinner will die. Wage of the sin is death. And also says that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. The only way we have eternal life with Christ is by accepting the sacrifice he did. If you're here and you've never really done that, you've never accepted that sacrifice, or if you've never really applied it to your life, yeah, you may have been in church, you, you heard about Jesus all your life, but you never made the commitment, you never took the step to ask Jesus to forgive you. 
to make you a new creature. The Bible says you're a new creation in God. If you've never done that, this is the moment to do it. This is the time to get your records right with God. If that's you and you want to make sure that you have eternal life, the Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If that's you and you want to make sure your relationship was right, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm going to assume all of us are committed followers of Christ now. Every sermon, every time we preach, it's not just for information's sake. We pray that the Spirit of God seals this in us so it actually causes us to, to change and be blessed and, and to adjust our lives accordingly. How does God's Word apply to our life? Well, as we saw at the beginning, we all experience loss at some time. But the Bible says God's able to give you a peace through that. God's able to transform that sorrow into hope. God's able to work through your life so your life can be a, a, a life of integrity, a life of witness to those around you. So when your life is over, they will have nothing but good words to say about you because you have been Christ-like in their situation. They may not agree with you, but you are not disagreeable. They might not believe the way you do, but they respect what you believe. We want our lives to be examples for others to follow. We're not perfect. We blow it. But with the Spirit's power, we want to be the best that we can be, not only to store up our own treasures, but so that we can affect the lives of other people while we're here, so that they also will be in heaven, maybe because of how we lived or how we treated them. Father, thank you. We thank you for saving us, for bringing us into your kingdom, for allowing someone to have an effect on our lives that caused us to make that choice. So Lord, I pray you'd fill each person here with your Holy Spirit. I pray that God, you would give us divine appointments. I pray that you would work through us, Lord. We are nothing with our, by ourselves. The only way we can have an effect on people is let the Spirit of God work through us. And I pray that you would work through us. You would set up divine appointments. You would put people in our path. You would put situations in front of us that cause us to exhibit the Christian faith that we have. And I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow them to really experience the manifold blessing of God as we live this life every day. It's not always easy, but it's always a blessing when we know that God is with us through every situation. So, Father, I commit each person to you. Go with them, Father. Strengthen them. Encourage them. And allow them to walk, as the Bible says, in newness of life. Our life is new. Our life is different because we know you. Help us to live with that knowledge, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We will see you Wednesday night or next Sunday.